Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern day Asian American woman. My name is Mel. I'm Janet. And I'm Alyssa. On today's episode, we have Alyssa Navarro, recently named one of Forbes 30 Under 30 in Hollywood and Entertainment for her work as an executive producer at the Walt Disney Studios, specializing in representation and inclusion strategies. But her list of talents continue well beyond. Alyssa is also an incredible performer, a singer, dancer, and actress. She was a principal vocalist and performer at the Walt Disney Company for over seven years, during which she portrayed Disney's famous warrior princess Mulan in the musical showcase Mickey and the Magical Map. And she was also a recent contestant on Fox's reality game show, I Can See Your Voice, broadcasted to TV screens everywhere. Alyssa can also be found all over YouTube, sharing her talents as a vocalist and now also podcaster with her fiancé, AJ Raphael. Alyssa has been a longtime friend of Asian Boss Girl, and we are so excited to finally have her on the podcast. Please welcome to the Asian Boss Girl podcast, Alyssa. Hello. Welcome, Alyssa. Oh my gosh, thank you both for having me. I've been a longtime fan, as you both know, of Asian Boss Girl, so this is a dream come true of mine to be here speaking with you both. Oh no, we are so excited to have you on, Alyssa. You've been on our guest list for the longest time. We're just telling you this before the recording. (laughs) Um, But I feel like you're just doing such incredible things. And I'm pretty sure our listeners know who you are. Give them a little bit of context. We know you're a proud Filipino-American. Can you share with the listeners a little bit about your upbringing? You know, where did you grow up? What was your family dynamic like? And what was young Alyssa like? Yes, I love love that question. Um, I was born and raised in SoCal, Southern California. I've been here my whole life. I was actually born in Carson, California. A lot of Filipinos there. My family still lives there as well, like my extended cousins. Um, and I moved to Roland Heights, which is where I am now when I was six years old. And I'm back here now. I moved back in with my parents during the pandemic. Um, but I'm the eldest of three kids. I have a younger brother and sister. And um, as the firstborn, I was always 
you know, the leader of my siblings. Mm-hmm. My yes. parents always raised me to kind of be the kind of the guinea pig, but also like I was always instilled to be, you know, you are going to be the, um, you know, they're going to follow in your path. So mm-hmm. you always have to be the responsible one. Mm-hmm. I was always with the strictest rules. So that's kind of how I grew up. And I have an age gap of uh, three years between me and my brother and nine years between me and my sister. But I've always acted like kind of like a second parent. I think it's just in my personality to kind of be that older sibling and and take care of them. Um, And we all grew up as singers and performers. My parents are not singers at all, but they raised us to be in the arts. So we grew up singing together. Um, Our household was always filled with music, karaoke, uh, musical theater. Uh, So that's kind of how our like family household was like and still is because we all now live in the same house. Um, within the last year, we've all lived in the same house together. So it's a lot of games, a lot of music, and it's super fun. We like to say it's like a Filipino full house in this house. (laughs) I totally get that vibe. Just like seeing your Instagram stories, like, if you guys don't follow Alyssa, like her dad is like the most amazing (laughs) chef ever. Like I always, I'm just like, can I move in with you guys? And like, I just love how close you are with your family and, your family is freaking talented. We watched Alyssa perform with her sister and your brother at the Crazy Talented Asians. And Amber, yes. we're all just like, how can all three of them sing phenomenally? Like, this is insane. <laughs> um, and it does That was that. all my parents. I mean, they, they always were very supportive of us pursuing like a career in the arts, even mm-hmm. though they did always want us to go to college mm-hmm. and get a degree. They always were like, yeah, if you want to, you know, pursue it, go for it. And I think um, we're very fortunate in that way that our parents were like pushed us to be creative at a mm-hmm. very young age because it's helped in so many ways. Um, and I love your question about like what young Alyssa was like too, because I feel like a lot of it is still very part of like current Alyssa, mm-hmm. like present. My, I, I was always very ambitious. I had huge dreams and always wanted to try everything. And I, I always give that to my parents because they always, you know, allowed me to go for what I wanted to as long as I tried my best and I went for it. And I also never took no for an answer. So mm-hmm. when I was presented with, you know, any challenge, I always took it and wanted to like overcome the nose. Wow. Yeah, I can definitely see those characteristics still carry through to your character to this day. I mean, it's wonderful to hear. So you grew up in this household where you were very much supported in being, um, you know, engaged in the arts. Was So did you always feel like you wanted to go into this professionally? Or when did that become like a real, a real thing that you're like, I'm going to pursue this professionally as a career? I would say I wanted to probably until high school, like all the way, all the way from when I started singing, which was at three years old to when I was in high school, it was always a goal of mine. I was like, I want to be a singer. I want to be on Broadway one day. Um, We grew up singing musical theater songs. So Broadway was always like a dream and passion of mine Um, up until college when reality set in. And it's kind of a sad story. It's like a happy and sad story because, um, I was always, like I said, like I was always very ambitious and had huge goals. And um, even when like some of my peers were like, you really think you're going to be a singer or performer? Um, Like you're like, are you really think you're going to make it? I was always like, yeah, I think I could. Like I always was just like telling myself that I could. And I was surrounded by like family that always supported that Mm -hmm. idea that I could do it. But in college, I actually was a theater minor for a little bit. And I had a musical theater teacher 
kind of call me out in the middle of a monologue that I was doing and said that I would never make it basically in front of everyone. And that was like a turning point for me where it was kind of a sad turning point because I dropped my theater major. I kind of stopped pursuing the arts. I stopped going to auditions. At that time, though, I was fortunate enough to get a job at Disneyland at the time. So I was like, I can still keep this. Mm. And I know that I still love doing it. So Mm. I'm going to still do it. But I don't know if there's going to be more opportunities other than this like gig right Mm -hmm. now because I was just so discouraged at the time that that was the first time it really hit me that maybe I wasn't going to make it in the way that I had always dreamed so like I said I dropped my theater major I ended up going into communications and marketing and even though I went through and did my degree and ended up getting a career on the marketing side I still always performed and sang because it was always something that Mm -hmm. my family like still did like we always did together and I always looked to um, some of my friends that continue to do the arts too and um, it encouraged me to still keep going and so I kept it while still doing like my corporate job. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. That, um, oh, that made me really sad for <laughs> but- I know. It was a sad time in my life because I felt like I was giving up. Yeah. But I never did fully give up. Yes. And that was the thing that I was going to say is like, I love that you grew up in a household that supported and, um, but it still speaks to how powerful just one person and one instance can be in your life um, when it comes to your kind of like vision for what you want to do. But lucky for you and lucky for all of us, you (laughs) continued to foster that talent and that interest through, um, through doing, you know, entertaining um, as like, I guess you could say as like a side while then you pursued this like marketing communications. Um, so at what point, I guess, like after you graduated college, you go into, into like the corporate workforce or what was that experience like? Yeah. So as I was in college, I did a few internships wanting to know that I, I knew that I wanted to get into entertainment, um, but kind of on like the back end because I felt like it was a more safe choice Mm -hmm. while still being connected in some way, because in the back of my head, I still knew like, performing was my passion, singing was my passion, doing things creative was my passion. But if there's a way I can kind of figure out a way to do it on the back end and still be involved in some way, then I can kind of get the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. So um, I did internships and I applied for a million internships. And the one that landed was an internal communications for the cybersecurity department at Disney. So a very interesting role Mm -hmm. where I I got to learn about literally cybersecurity, which is not closely related to anything I'm doing now. But my role was to literally create marketing graphics for like the security team and like teach people internally about how to have safe passwords and how to better like have cybersecurity, like not get hacked essentially. And it was such, it was literally like the most random internship and job, but it led to me meeting uh, my boss at the time who like Mm -hmm. offered up other opportunities in the future. So um, it was a really cool experience to be able to like kind of get my foot in the door and then eventually led me to the role that I'm at now, just like by um, like leading to other steps that led here. Whoa, that's that's so crazy. <laughs> I never would have expected that you'd worked for a cybersecurity department. Oh, me neither. <laughs> right? But at the same time, I, it, it's so interesting because I feel like obviously now we know you're so connected to Disney. You've been, I mean, you're Mulan. Now you work in like 
work for Disney. I want, do you think that was like your beginning of like your connection to Disney or were you also singing as Mulan at the time? I was actually singing as Mulan at the time. So my very first job, actually my very first professional gig slash first job ever was at Disneyland. So I started as a dancer in the show Phantasmic, where I was a dancing <gasps> oh. monkey oh my and a pirate. God. I love it. Sorry, I, I remember the dancing Yeah, that's monkey. a classic. I love that show too. And it was seriously, like that was the first time that I had booked a professional like role where I was getting paid mm. to perform. And so that was the first time where I was like, and this was when I was fresh 18, like fresh wow. out of high school. Um, and the first thing I did, because at the time you had to be 18 to work at Disneyland. I think it has changed now. But as soon as I turned 18, I was like, I'm auditioning. Like I'm going out and kind of going to pursue this role. And I, I don't even know how I got this because it was a very hard track to learn. I don't If you've ever seen Fantasmic, the monkey track is the hardest track. And I was up against like legit dancers where I'm a musical theater dancer. Mm. I'm not like a professional dancer, but I had to fake it during the audition and just like go through it. And I did, I guess I did pretty well because I got the part. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I remember going through training for like the dance role literally so intimidated because these were like real dancers they were like stretching mm -hmm. and doing all these things and here I am like okay like how am I going to pretend <laughs> that I am way better than I actually can dance but it was it was so fun like I still vividly remember what it was like going through like the orientation process and being alongside these people that have worked for Disney for years or wow. have auditioned for Disney for years just to get this role. It was so cool to like be surrounded by all these people that love Disney as much mm -hmm. as I did and love performing as much as I did at such a young age where, um, you know, this was my dream to work at Disney. Like I always went to Disneyland as a kid. Um, like watching the parades, watching Fantasmic, yeah. watching all of the shows, dreaming, like, I hope that can be me one day. And that was my first, that was my real true foot in the door at Disney, mm. was Fantasmic. My mind is like low-key blown right now, because <laughs> I, I, maybe this whole time you were that monkey and I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's, um, not to, to kill the magic, but there's a there's a couple of monkeys. Oh, okay. But I was a baby monkey. I was a baby monkey, um, which means I was less than five foot three, and so I got to like play the part of like being like a baby monkey. It oh was wow. Fun. Okay, well now next time I watch Fantastic, I will have a whole different perspective on it. <laughs> and thank you so much for sharing how you like got your foot in with Disney as a as a dancing monkey. But then. Because I know you, you know, going back to performing, I feel like you, you know, shared that you were in theater, you did a lot of probably musicals growing up, and, but so you got the dancing monkey role, and <laughs> how did you continue, I guess, your journey as a performer? Like, how did you land Mulan? Yeah, so a, a couple of months into being in Fantasmic, there was an open call for a new show called Mickey and the Magical Map, and it was the very first show where they featured a princess medley with different princesses in one show, and I thought that was like the coolest thing, and I didn't know where I would fit in at the time, but I just went in, I went into the open call, and um, this was a worldwide open call, by the way. So they were having auditions in Hollywood, but they were also having auditions in New York and um, wow. even outside of the U.S. too, oh, wow. where they were they there were thousands of people that were auditioning for this part because it was just like a new thing where we were, they were bringing all the princesses together. 
They've done other shows like Aladdin or one-off shows where they highlight different princesses, but this was the first show where I remember they were highlighting all of the, like a lot of princesses in one medley. And so I just went to the open call, literally did not expect anything. This was my second professional audition ever. The only other time I went to an audition was for Aladdin, um, for the role of Jasmine, but I, I didn't end up getting it. But the, so this was an open call. My dad um, went with me to the audition, again, super supportive. And I literally, I was in line for I think six hours. So the way the open call auditions work is you don't have an appointment. You just kind of show up, wait in line with your headshot and resume and wait for them to call you in and hope they'll let you sing, you know, your full 16 bars of a song. And so I had my sheet music, I had my resume, and um, I was just ready to just show them what I can do. I don't even remember what I auditioned with. Oh, I do remember actually. I auditioned with a very, it's embarrassing to think about now, but it was like a very classic musical theater song. And I remember at my audition, the, the casting director asked if I, um, if I could do a mix. And I was very green at the time. A, a mix in like musical theater terms mean like mixing your head voice and your chest voice. Mm -hmm. And I said, what's a mix? Oh, such a rookie move, like not knowing the terminology. Um, and so then I was like, oh, I completely bombed it. Until I find out like mi minutes after I leave the audition room that I got a callback. And then from there, um, it was like a couple of weeks later where I was set up and I think there was 13 of us and they told me I got a callback for the role of Mulan where there was 13 of us. We auditioned. Um, we had to sing. I think we had to sing Reflection like a billion times for a bunch of di different casting directors. And that was like an, a full six or eight hour day of just wow. singing the song over and over again with different um, like counterparts. Mm. Until I think, and then I didn't hear back for like a month or two months because they were doing a worldwide search. And then I find out after two months, I still remember it's a very core memory of them calling me up and letting them know I was one of the four people that they chose to like originate the role of Mulan and Mickey and the Magical Map at Disneyland. And I remember thinking that day, like, this is going to change my life. Mm -hmm. mm. And it definitely did because it led to different you know, opportunities after that. And it's so crazy because at that moment, I remember like, again, like the core memory thing of reminding, being reminded that my very first time performing as um, in front of an audience was actually singing reflection <gasps> in front of my kindergarten, <laughs> my kindergarten class when I was, I think, five years old. Oh my and gosh. then to be able to like book the role and then be able to sing it and then fast forward to when I was on I Can See Your Voice and then sing that same song Whoa. again. It's just mm. so crazy like how far that role like has taken me, that song has taken me. And yeah, so it's kind of crazy. I know that was a long-winded answer. No, I, I, lo I love this story. Thank you for, I feel like I was like along and I could visualize the entire experience with you. You, you paint the audition process so vividly. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is great to give an insight to our listeners. Like it does take a lot of drive and a lot of passion to do what you've done. Mm -hmm. um, and it's beautiful to hear that through line of, of this particular song and this particular role and your passion for it and how it's like um, changed your life essentially and been so critical in, in all these big milestones. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I give a lot of props to like musical theater performers and performers mm. that are currently going out for the arts and going to open calls because I've been there it's such a 
it's it's a strenuous process not only yeah. physically but mentally emotionally and yeah. it just takes that one opportunity to ignite that fire that like okay I'm good I can do this mm-hmm. and I'm not just like wasting hours of my day at an open call so mm. yeah it's hard it's hard it's a lot of mental you have to go through a lot mm. of mental hoops yeah no thank you so much for sharing your story Alyssa you're such a good storyteller sorry I'm just like I was just thank listening you. like oh. Um, you said two things that really stood out to me. Um, one, I love that you use the concept of core memories. We all know that's from Inside Out. Yes. I, I got you there. Another um, Disney reference. Right here. Um, I, I was wondering like two things. So one, would you say that like obviously you shared kind of like your, I would say like semi-traumatizing story back in college when your theater teacher kind of called you out and made you feel like crap um, and kind of give up that minor one, would you say that your family support is the thing that kind of kept you going within mm-hmm. performance and, and like, music? Um, and two, would you say that landing the Mulan role was kind of, like, confirmation that this is for you? Like, I don't need mm-hmm. someone's yeah. judgment to tell me otherwise. Yes. So, yes and no for for the first question of my family. I would say with them being, f- like, fully supportive of anything that I chose to do at the end of the day, they also are very real- realistic. Mm. Like, my parents are very realistic people, so they were like, why don't you try and do entertainment on the side mm. and pursue, mm. you know, communications and marketing, which at the time I thought was a great idea, like, too, and it has led me to other, you know, obviously other opportunities within mm-hmm. Disney. But I would say the reason why I kept wanting to pursue mm-hmm. it is just from my pure, like, own selfishness and passion for like wanting to do it for myself Mm. like I really Mm. at the end of the day it's performing and singing is still something that brings me the most joy in Mm. life and so knowing that Mm. like I just had to go for it in between like my jobs too like I had such like odd jobs like we talked about the internship and then I also work like customer service jobs in between then before I landed like a, a full-time corporate job and that was because my parents really wanted me to have like a job outside of college and where I really wanted to just like quit and pursue the arts Mm -hmm. full-time so I would say yes and no to that first question because Mm -hmm. it was still a lot of me having to just like advocate for myself and like Mm -hmm. know that this is something that I wanted to do because I was passionate for it Mm. I think sometimes when I hear your story like maybe I'm putting myself in your own shoes like one I think if I were to hear like a someone like a musical theater person tell me that like you're not going to make it, I would feel like probably discouraged to the fact that maybe I'll consider quitting. But I think you already, Mm -hmm. you reiterated that like your passion was still there. It brought you joy that you couldn't let it go. So I think with that, I was wondering like if you were feeling defeated, if getting the Mulan role for you was like kind of like a key sign that you're like, this is meant for me. Yes, definitely. It definitely was. And I think if it weren't for that, I may have not kept pursuing Mm. it or have or maybe I would have I don't know it's hard to say Mm. because I know like I know in my head like singing is something I would never give up ever Mm -hmm. but it was like that moment for me where I was like I can do this like I Mm. am capable I I have worked for it even though I wasn't thinking about it my Mm. whole life like even just singing and training and um surrounding myself with peers that are also like doing it as well like that's all part of the work that goes into being a performer and so yes it was it definitely was that for me it was like a it was a good not not pat on the back but it was a good like moment Mm -hmm. and like it solidified that I was on the right track and Mm -hmm. that I was supposed to be doing this wow 
Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So while all of this is happening, you're going from, you know, performing in Fantasmic to getting the Mulan role. During this whole time, you were also working corporate jobs. Is that right? Yes. So at the time of the time that I was performing, I also had the internship on the side. Mm -hmm. Um, So actually... I had to I couldn't do it at the same time. So there's like mm-hmm. a like a, a rule within Disney where you kind of have to like choose one um, because of the way like payroll works or whatever. So I actually while I was performing is when I got the internship opportunity. So I performed first, then I got the internship offer- opportunity where I had to leave my performing job for mm-hmm. a year. And then that's when I started pursuing like the whole marketing and communication stuff while I still kind of had a role at the parks, but then was doing that on like the the day to day. Okay, got it. And from that to now, you are currently the manager of representation and inclusion strategies at the Walt Disney Studios. So fill in the gap for us there and how you got to this role. Yes. Okay, so from high school, I worked in right after college, worked in Fantasmic, then I worked at Making the Magical Map, had to leave Mickey and Magical Map to pursue the professional internship. Mm. And then while I was doing my professional internship, was looking for jobs at the time, I met with multiple people across the company by literally doing cold emails to people that were working in marketing and communications because that was like the way that I figured would be like the easiest way to just meet people, network, and then get to know like what their team did so I could see if it was of interest for me. And actually I used to, one like tip I used to do was look at all like the, look at the Disney careers site and see like what roles were hiring and then like find them on LinkedIn and see like what their emails were and then like cold email them, which I don't know if that's like, People are supposed to do that today, but that's what I did no, at the time to is... kind of like, I was hustling to try yeah. and get a job in like corporate America and like in marketing. At the time I was studying communications and marketing in college. So that's where I was trying to get like my full-time job in. And then how I got to this role was from 
one random meet and greet one day where I had like a coffee meeting and um, I met with this one woman, her name is Jess Linares, who now is like a dear friend of mine. And we met, had coffee and just like basically like connected over our shared like interests and like we just had a a, a genuine connection Mm -hmm. and she worked in creative marketing but she didn't have an open role on her team until two years after I met with her Um, I guess I left a a lasting impression for our first meeting and she reached out to me after two years of meeting her and asked if I was interested in joining her team and so then that's when I ended up getting my first full-time role at Disney which was as a creative assistant in creative marketing for Disney and at the time I was also still working at the parks too so like my my work at the parks like kind of it kind of goes in and out because I had to like switch off from different teams but when I started working in on the marketing team they allowed me to work at the parks and doing marketing at the same time so I was doing both at that time Mm. yeah wow I I'm hearing this like definite pattern in your stories is you definitely hustle, mm-hmm. um, which is so respectable. And I and I, I very much resonate with a lot of like your story of like, I also LinkedIn, use LinkedIn crazily and <laughs> yeah. would like just email and message people and grab coffees. And I also did get jobs just from meeting random people that maybe it didn't happen in the moment, but mm. a year or two later it would connect. So I think that's a really good tip, um, you know, for any of our listeners out there who are starting out their careers or changing careers or anything is just mm. if you want Want something you really really can just like you the go resources are out there go mm-hmm. for it yeah <laughs> yeah wow definitely it worked for me so it can work for you too <laughs> yeah and so from that from you know working on as a creative assistant in that role how did you get to what you do now and and could you explain to our listeners like what is it that you do now what's like a, yes. a, a day like in your life yes absolutely so how I got to this role is because Um, Again, another random coffee meet and greet between my boss at the time, Jess, and someone she was working with at the time, Chris. Um, They were working together for a specific project and she was an advocate for me. I'm very fortunate for her leadership. She knew that I was very passionate about representation and entertainment and there was an open role on um, my also old boss Chris Kim who's also now a dear friend of mine Um, and she like connected me with him and let him know like hey you should connect with Alyssa she's really interested in your team and then I had a coffee meet and greet with him he let me know there was an open opportunity on his team um, for the Disney Launchpad Shorts Incubator. So uh, the Disney Launchpad um, was a is a shorts incubator program for six directors of underrepresented backgrounds to produce, write, and direct a short for Disney Plus. And I ended up being on the team that kind of built and put that program together. So at the time, it was a coordinator role that was doing responsible for doing like the operations and logistics and building out a brand new program that at the time they didn't realize was going to be anything, and there was no guarantee that it was going to get on Disney Plus, but I joined the team and me and our team at the time like really again like hustled like internally yeah. throughout the company to make that happen. And um so that was my role for about 2 years and then I joined the team now as a manager of content advisement for um representation and inclusion strategies where basically our team what our team does or what my role on the team does is to review content coming out of the the studios to ensure authenticity within our stories. So mm. we work with cultural consultants like Goldhouse, Cape, 
glad respectability to name a few to partner and review content and by content mm -hmm. i mean like reading scripts reviewing screenings of upcoming films that are coming out of all of the studios that we represent and um yeah, to like review them for like cultural authenticity or just like making sure that the represent representation is accurate, not portraying any negative stereotypes. And um, yeah, that's a huge part of our role. And my day to day, other than like reviewing and reading scripts or screenings is also having a lot of meetings with creative executives who want feedback on their project and connecting them with organizations like I mentioned um, to give them their their feedback from the community's perspective oh my god sorry <laughs> that's wow I love what you do thank you Mel oh my gosh <laughs> yeah I was gonna say I mean when I was younger I had no idea that a role like this would ever exist um, and it's it's so cool to hear that that is a job yeah and it's, it's very cool to hear that um, a company of such profound impact like Disney values mm -hmm. and and puts that in place where they put resources toward that and they are very careful um, about about vetting their content and yeah. making sure that it is authentic. No, and I did not know that a role like this would exist either. And to be honest, our team is actually fairly new. So iterations of our team have been around for for a few years now, but I think it's expanded. So our team used to review... Uh, mostly like cultural reviews and look out for um, because it's no secret that Disney hasn't gotten perfect in the past mm -hmm. like there are like stories within our content that have portrayed stereotypes um, and so our team is really there to kind of vet for any stories moving forward you know we're in a um, a new world where audiences including myself including all of us want to make sure that the representation that's coming out of these storytelling is accurate and authentic to the communities being represented. So it's extremely important and not even just for culture, but representation with the LGBTQ community, the mm -hmm. disability community. Um, there are so many communities out there that deserve um, accurate representation and deserve to be heard yeah. and seen. Well, thank you so much for doing what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I know that probably the work that you do because you're reviewing content before it comes out is uh, probably quite top secret. Yes, But is. is there anything you can share with us about any exciting projects that are in the pipeline? Yes, I can. So I talked a little bit about Launchpad. So Launchpad actually is coming out with a season two, which is super exciting. Um, I was heavily involved in season one. Uh, I'm not as heavily involved in season two just because I have a ton of other like content as as well to like kind of review and go for but I am leading content advisement for Launchpad season two and I'm really excited about the slate of films that Disney has coming out I can't share what that is yet but I would say like the representation is amazing to see and that you know Disney is putting money and efforts towards filmmakers to be able to tell their stories mm -hmm. and have it come from the filmmakers themselves being able to write and direct their own film and um, having to play a small part in that is really exciting and I'm very proud of. Oh my gosh, that's so awesome to hear. We have so much to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Wow, I, I feel like Alyssa, you just kind of, I had this weird cool moment when you're sharing your job and your day-to-day. -day. It's like, I wonder if other listeners will feel this way, but you kind of described to me like a dream job. Like yeah. <laughs> for, for me growing up, to be honest, like or in college, like if I knew this type of role existed, I, I would totally like 
LinkedIn message you and be like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I do think it's amazing that these teams and roles actually exist now. But I'm pretty sure like a lot of listeners were probably figuring out like they were still in college figuring out what they want to do. But if I was still in college, I'd be like, oh, my God, Alyssa, this is your path. Your journey is something <laughs> I would really resonate with. Mm-hmm. And I'm just in awe about the work you do because it's it's really cool. And I think it's really powerful as well. Not yeah. I mean, obviously I love my job at ABG, but you know, <laughs> if I had to do a plan B, your job sounds amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I honestly like to me it does feel like a dream job. Like I know mm-hmm. the college version of myself when I was applying for roles and um not showing what I wanted to do with my career. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know this was a career opportunity mm-hmm, for me. Yeah. But I will say, like, if I were like to look back at my younger self like this definitely I have achieved that like dream Mm. role because this Mm. is exactly where I had like only like prayed and hoped to have Mm. like to be able to like work alongside the people actually like creating these stories Mm -hmm. but haven't but help them you know create richer and more authentic storytelling the impact there is huge and it doesn't um like I don't forget that mm-hmm. that that is a, a very big deal to be able to like have this um this role and I, also my linkedin dms are open for anyone that wants to learn more about you Aww. know the role that i do um we're also hiring on the team too so like we're oh. going to be hiring more team members so if anyone's in, interested send your resumes to my yeah to my LinkedIn. Up, Alyssa. thank you for the open invitation that's to our great. listeners that's amazing it's a great yes. opportunity yeah. yes and i feel like too like diversity and inclusion roles are opening up at so many mm. different um studios yeah. not just disney um i know like netflix and some other companies out there are also trying to expand on their knowledge and um, and their workforce and bringing them inside. So I think the demand is going to be out there for, mm. for, for years. So if you're looking to change careers and you're passionate about it, mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like now is the time to kind of get in- interested. Yeah. Aw. Wow, Alyssa, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Another thing I, I do notice that, you know, uh, you do besides your corporate job is you're still an active performer. Like, and I feel like you have taken on even more additional roles. I can see you hosting, you know, <laughs> red carpet events and just yeah. doing a bunch of really cool things. How do you balance your role at the Disney Studios with your performance career? Honestly, it's very hard. I'm not going to lie. It takes a lot of um, time management skills, mm-hmm. especially because the role that I have now is pretty demanding. Like we're working with creative executives and also with organizations that are leaning on us for mm. feedback. And, and um, so it is a, like, I'm not going to lie. It's a very demanding work. And mm. I, my day to day is um, at the very least, it's like a nine to six role. So a lot of the, that, and that's like on a good day. Sometimes I'm mm. like, literally last night I was reading scripts until 12 a.m. just because I needed to get it done so um I don't have the best (laughs) work-life balance if I'm being honest because work from home and like working remotely has definitely helped with like flexibility and being Mm -hmm. able to do projects outside of work but I do have to manage and block out time to be able to Mm -hmm. do personal work like whether that's like hosting on the red carpet or 
recording and hosting our podcast it always has to be done outside of the work hours because I you know my full-time job I have dedicated that time to but I do have a very supportive team like they know the stuff I do outside of work and they're very like flexible and supportive with me so if I have like a red carpet event that I get invited to they think it's really cool and um, I'm able to like take time off or take some like hours out of my day to do that but I have had to um, like really block out my schedule and sometimes that means I'm like not getting a ton of sleep or rest Mm. and then I'm just Mm. like go 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 Um, which I don't necessarily recommend to everyone but I feel like I'm in a time in my life where I can kind of like hustle before I'm like you know have kids and things like that I'm definitely still in like the hustle mindset where I'm like okay from Mm. nine to six I'm like doing my day-to-day job and like today we're recording um our podcast the sweet or savory podcast after work from six to nine and then I have to do some extra script reads from like nine to twelve and then I sleep and then go (gasps) And do it all again the next day. I know it sounds wow. not very ideal, but just make <laughs> but, it work sometimes. I just have to make it work sometimes. Yeah, I mean that hustle. That hustle characteristics is definitely a through line in your in your past experiences down to your current. You obviously are very accomplished, but you know it's you're working in an industry where within entertainment and also in the corporate world, you know oftentimes people talk about. I mean, I guess it could be changing now, but in the past it's been, um, you know, kind of the world of whatever we want to call it, like a white man's world, right? Mm -hmm. And um, we talk a bit on our podcast and with our guests about any experiences that they may have had where they faced, um, you know, certain stereotypes or or felt like judged or hit any walls because Mm -hmm. of their either cultural identity or gender. Um, Is there anything in your experience, whether it's in the performance space or in the corporate space, where you can recall something like that happening and how, how it played out? Yes, I feel like I've experienced that both on the corporate end and on the performing end um on the corporate side I feel like I've had to prove myself a lot Mm. and um maybe not necessarily blatant discrimination but definitely Mm. a lot of microaggression Mm. um often overlooked in meetings not not now I'm luckily luckily now I've I've learned to have a voice and really stand up for myself but Mm. I would say early on in my career I was always overlooked and um oftentimes mistaken for an intern when I was actually the Mm. one leading the meeting Mm. um so and then I've always got not always but I've often got the question too like what are you like where are you from and you know Mm. that question over time can be very othering for an Asian American woman and then also like just having to find my voice and learn to speak up so I wasn't being overlooked in meetings I feel like um as an Asian woman I've had to like be like extra vocal just so Mm. I wasn't seen as like a pushover Mm -hmm. or that I wasn't that I was going to be silent in meetings and um even when I did like sometimes have some things to say there were certain times where I've had colleagues be like oh like you should speak up more or we didn't really hear from you a lot in the meeting where like I was like participating in the meeting, Mm. but maybe like you didn't, you weren't listening or you didn't, my voice wasn't being heard. I was speaking, but it wasn't being heard. Mm. So I've had to prove myself a lot in that way. And it took a lot of um, overcoming like fear and doubt of Mm. what I was going to say 
wasn't going to be taken um, in like the wrong way or that I was going to be silenced or that no one was going to agree with me. I really had to get over that fact and just like go for it because I've realized that being silent or not using my voice to its full like capability wasn't going to do anything for me and it wasn't going to move me anywhere whether that was like to have my no or my piece of feedback be heard in a meeting by like a filmmaker or um or be taken seriously like even on like my team or on other teams so I've I feel like I've had to like push myself to really prove that I have a strong voice. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm nodding along because there's a lot of the, the examples you gave, like I also experienced, and I'm sure a lot of our mm-hmm. listeners can resonate with. How would you describe like how long it took or, or what, or what not to go from feeling, you know, very uncomfortable with that to then getting a place where you felt like you were more established in your persona? Yeah. I feel like I didn't experience it until like two years of really like acknowledging Mm. that I wasn't really like being vocal or wasn't being heard to having to like push myself. Like I really Mm. had to push myself and I, I'm naturally an introverted person, but like with extroverted like tendencies or, or maybe it's the opposite. I'm not really too sure. I recharge by being by myself, but in the social settings, I'm very extroverted and I can be very social. But when it comes to like, like a meeting setting or like um, like when I'm in a room full of like colleagues or people that are like mm-hmm. higher titles than me, I, you know, it's intimidating to be yeah. able to like speak your truth. But um, I also think on my team, because, you know, we're the diversity and inclusion team. Like if we're not empowering right. um, our own people on our team to be able to voice their opinions, then like nobody else is going to do that at the company. So I will say like it wasn't until I joined this team that I'm on mm. now where I really felt that I could share all like my opinions and that my perspective mattered. Um, and so it wasn't until yeah, like two or three years into like working in like the corporate side where I started to do that. And it was really because I had other leaders really mm. were doing that. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, if, if they're able to put their own voice out there and like be strong, then I can too. And like not be yeah. afraid to, mm-hmm. to, to share and be vocal. I can see how by viewing like people as examples, how you could feel encouraged to do so as well. Um, besides the things that you listed, Alyssa, would you say there's other hard or difficult things about being an Asian woman in entertainment that you didn't that yeah. you didn't share? Yeah, so kind of going back to the example that I gave, I feel like one of the hardest things about pursuing the arts, especially when I was pursuing it at a younger age, was just a limited amount of opportunities and roles mm-hmm. that were out there without having to play a role that was stereotyped. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like it wasn't until more recently in these like recent years that there have been more um, roles for Asian women that have agency where they can play a lead role and not have to be pigeonholed into being side characters or not portraying themselves. But I also feel like too, even as like being a Filipino woman, Mm. there are still a limited number of roles out there Mm. for us where we can accurately and authentically play ourselves. Um, I know like, you know, Vanessa Hudgens, she's Filipino, but she was always playing like a Latina um, Mm. character. And there's so many examples of that too, where, um, where Filipinos have not been able to portray their true selves. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, it's my hope that 
with like new content that there's more representation out there for Asians, Asian Americans, and specifically also for Filipinos. Cause I know the perform like performing and singing abilities within the Filipino community is so strong, but oftentimes like, you know, we end up not pursuing it because there are such limited opportunities for us. And that makes me really sad. So, um, I hope that that you know, just it opens up that that opens up because right now I think there is still a lot of limits there. Yeah, thank you for sharing both what you faced in mm-hmm. the corporate setting, but also in you know within entertainment as a performer. Um, I think you are a great example to a lot of our listeners for ways to ways to represent and push things forward without having to be super loud about it mm-hmm. or without like or or more like it, it can be done in such in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and we love that the work that you're doing is opening up those opportunities. I think by you continuing to perform, by you continuing to work at Disney, you are playing a huge role in, in opening up more doors for the next generation. Thank mm-hmm. you. I hope so. If I have opened up a door for somebody mm-hmm. else to be able to do that, like then I've left my legacy on yeah. the role and on the team, so. Oh, that is so powerful. Hey there, ABG listeners. It's Mel here. Oh, ooh. Looks like I just got an email letting me know that my next shipment of ritual vitamins are on its way. Ugh, I love how I don't have to go to the store for my vitamins. It just ships directly to my door. By the way, are you all taking your daily vitamins? Well, if you're not, I would highly recommend Ritual. Janet, Helen, and myself all take vitamins from Ritual. They both got me hooked on it when I saw them taking it every day and got really curious. And I'm currently taking their Essential for Women's 18 and Over multivitamin. It was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill nutrient gaps in the diets of women ages 18 and over. It's also formulated with nutrients to help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and provide antioxidant support. Besides their monthly shipments, I also love their minty taste of these daily vitamins. It makes it super easy to swallow when it's time to take my two pills. Right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash ABG and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash ABG. So, Alyssa, you've shared with us extensively all of your work at Disney um, and, you know, throughout your corporate career and also as a performer. But we also know you have another life uh, on YouTube, which is a huge (laughs) other career in itself. Um, And, you know, on YouTube, you and your fiancé, AJ, AJ Raphael, are um, a powerful, multi-talented performance couple. Oh, my God. Share with us a little bit more about that part of your life. How did you all meet? How did you start working together? Oh my gosh. So we bring, not to bring Disney into every conversation, but we actually <laughs> met at a Disney audition. Oh. So AJ and I met at an audition for Disneyland. It was like to be host for this um, like musical show. Um, and we were the only two Filipinos in the room. And so I think that like naturally made us gravitate towards mm-hmm. each other because we we were both at a callback so it was like a smaller Mm. group um and I didn't recognize who he was at first even though I did listen to his music in like middle school and high school but so I, I remember at the callback um everyone's like 
you know, very serious, like kind of looking mm. at their music, um, have their headphones in, like kind of in the zone. And I remember seeing AJ from across the room and he was like not preparing at all, just like sitting on the floor, like smiling, waiting for someone to talk to. I'm, I'm, I am kind of that person that like doesn't really like to talk to anyone when I'm going to an audition too. But I was like, he, he looked familiar to me. And so I like, I sat next to him and he introduced himself and he said, hi, I'm AJ. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, you're AJ Raphael. I know your music. And so that was like our very first conversation. Me kind of like, not really, like kind of fangirling, I guess, but like more of just like uh, acknowledging that I like I knew who he was and like his music was a big part of like my generation of of people who grew up um watching like youtube and listening to like you know that era of asian american artists Mm -hmm. and um we unfortunately got cut from the audition but i did connect with him on twitter um it's kind of a funny long story but i didn't um i tweeted like oh my God, AJ Raphael is at my audition. And he like saw it embarrassingly. I didn't tag him on purpose because I was like, oh, I'm not going to be like that girl. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But he saw it and then like tweeted back at me and was like, oh, hey, like it was great meeting you too. And I was like, oh crap, he saw, he saw my tweet. And then from there, like we had followed each other back on Twitter. We were actually both dating other people at the time. Um, So it wasn't anything other than friendship. But um, after that, we just remained friends and we would run into each other at auditions, um, other Disney auditions and just like musical theater auditions. We were both pursuing that um, at the time. And um, it wasn't until two years after where I invited him to my graduation party, uh, Mm -hmm. random like invite on Facebook, and he ended up showing up. Uh, And then after that, we started dating. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So I feel like this is like one version of sliding into each other's DMs, but, you know, publicly on Twitter. Yeah, like a public (laughs) version. He slid into my DMs first, though, because I like publicly said like, oh, yeah, I I saw him at an audition and then we kind of talked. But then he's the one who like gave me his number on Twitter a year later, a year after a year after our public like talk. It wasn't right, until right. a year after he gave me his number. Because so. you guys were also seeing other people. Oh. Yes, exactly. So we were being respectful of our yeah, yeah. other people that we were dating at the time. And so a year after that is when we were both single, I think. I think. Mm. And then, but we were still just friends until, until like we were both fully single. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, I love to hear, I didn't know you guys met at an audition, mm-hmm. but I feel like that's so appropriate for the both of you because you both are so passionate about what you do. Mm-hmm. I know. I feel, and, and Disney too. I feel like we're both yeah. equally passionate <laughs> about Disney. So you guys are literally, for me, a match made in heaven. Like I can't <laughs> describe two people that belong with each other. And then when I see you both, I just love it so much. It's funny because um, I also asked AJ, I was like, yo, so like, how did you enlist me? Because I already asked, I asked him too. He was telling me about your like graduation party and he was like, how, yeah. you, you know, how you posted and then he wanted to go and I was like, AJ, like you totally <laughs> went with the intention of thinking she's so cute and attractive. And he was like, well, you know, like, 
He admitted that. <laughs> and I was like, I knew. I feel like, I mean, obviously you guys were in, probably in different relationships, but I was asking, I was like, I bet AJ was like waiting in the wings, just like a slightly. Oh my God. I, I mean, I think I asked him that, like, what did you think about mm. me when we first met? And he was like, yeah, I thought you were cute. So yes, his intentions were mm. like that. He thought I was like a cute girl, but at the same time, like it wasn't anything serious. Even when we first started dating, to be honest, like it wasn't. I was just out of college, so I was like, I'm going to be single for a while. Like, I'm not going to get into anything serious. And then, like, at the end of – we dated for three months, like, non-exclusively. And then at the end of the three months, I was like, okay, I like him. I I will finally – ask him and define the relationship so that happened like three months after us like dating Mm. wait how many years have you guys been together now over five years um it'll be six years this september so yeah five and five and a half years like ish already i know it's crazy (laughs) i feel i feel like it's gone by so fast but at the same time i feel like i've known him my whole life too because we just have so much in common in our our families are so like connected at this yeah. point. Like we are each other's family. Like he obviously like oh. lives with my family, but I also consider his family like my family too. Like I'm super close with his sisters and his mom and it's just it's been so easy. Like I've never had a relationship where it's been so easy mm-hmm. and it's yeah, it's great. I feel like when we actually get married, it's just going to feel like you know, like it was meant to happen. Like, it's going to be, like, a really nice moment of our families officially being together, but um, but our families are very much already interweaved. Like, we celebrate yeah. so many holidays together and, like, spend weekends together. Um, AJ's parents and my parents will oftentimes, like, go biking together, like, themselves. Oh, my God, really. that's so cute. So <laughs> it's really cool. Like, it's everything I would have ever dreamed of, like, to have a relationship like this. Like, the family is so important to us. So yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you guys are literally the dream for me. Um, <laughs> I also one component about your your relation that I really admire is that I feel like you both individually and then now collectively are such strong examples for the Filipino community. And you guys are very vocal about sharing cool projects and and you know really showing up and representing for your community. And I love how you talked about earlier about. You know, I do, I will agree with you that like as much as there's a lot of representation going on for the Asian Americans, there is a lack in the Filipino American representation. So I like that you touched upon that. You know, for you, Alyssa, like what does it mean to be Filipino American? To be Filipino American, I feel like that's sort of a hard question to answer because I feel like it's just who who I I am. Like I never really started really thinking about it until as I've gotten older. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like there's still so much about my like culture and like the history of Filipino Americans that I have still yet to learn. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm still learning like every day. Like there's so much about Filipino history that is American history that has been Mm -hmm. lost and not talked about um, and still isn't really talked about Mm -hmm. because I feel like Filipinos have a a, a history of being forgotten. It it sounds Mm -hmm. like sad, but... Um, of being forgotten in history and that has also happened in Hollywood too and and being left out of um, like being represented or feeling heard and seen in in our experiences Um, and but for for me at my core being Filipino American means family and like Mm. a strong sense of 
of, of family. And um, familia in Tagalog means family. Um, and every time I have a chance to connect with other Filipinos, it automatically feels like family because we have an unspoken bond that mm. is very specific to our culture. Um, and yes, there are things that we also relate to within like the Asian American community and also like the Latino mm-hmm. community as well, mm-hmm. or Latin community. Mm-hmm. But there are so many things that are very specific to our culture that I feel like whenever like Filipinos get together or you connect with another Filipino person, it's like you you get it yeah. because mm-hmm. there's like so many different like traditions or like unspoken things i follow so many like filipino like creators on tiktok too that like will be like if, if you're filipino you know what this means because it's like it's like a sound or mm-hmm. or like a look or like like just like little things like that where it's like oh my gosh like these are all things that like we don't really talk about or like mm-hmm. we don't see represented also in like our in hollywood or like in stories because it's not you know, the representation is not there yet, mm. but it's things that, like, we know and we can all, like... Because it's not things that... These are things that you don't really, like, talk about in regular conversation with your family, like... Um, but but they're things that, like, are a common commonality between, like, Filipino... Mm. Filipino-Americans, specifically. Yeah, for sure. I feel like... I love that you talked about that because even for me, I wonder, like, why isn't there a lot of Filipino-American representation within Hollywood and within stories? Like, I want to learn more. Maybe I'm not looking hard enough for the right content, but I'm like, mm-hmm. I think if I had to compare all, like, the the different Asian diasporas, I, I do think Filipino-Americans are really underrepresented, but I'm questioning, like, why? Like, why? You mentioned some things, but do you think, do you have other reasons as to why you think maybe within entertainment and media it's not there? I think, I honestly think it has to do with one like the historical Mm -hmm. context of like filipinos being left out and they're not being enough um like people not just being vocal but also like being heard like Mm -hmm. um, a lot of like filipino history again like was silenced like there are a lot of filipino um like labor organizers Mm -hmm. and um you know people that are a part of filipino history that like their stories have never been told Mm -hmm. um and then i also think too like um, a part of it could be we just haven't had like our our break yet. We haven't had our stories get told because we just haven't had the opportunity to. Mm. And um, yeah, which is why I think like whenever someone or a Fil- anyone of Filipino descent like wins an award or like a major milestone, for example, like at the Grammys, like with all of like the Filipino nominations and, and wins, like Filipinos go wild because it – is just like our form of representation that we're slowly starting mm-hmm. to get. And I think, I do think there's like a bit, I I have like a premonition that within the next few years, we will start to see more Filipino representation because there are more like directors mm-hmm. and writers that are being able to tell their story. But until like the big names like Disney, like Netflix. Netflix is starting to actually like tell more Filipino stories, but until like bigger name like Hollywood and corporations start to actually acknowledge Filipinos and and tell their stories, like that's um it's it's not going to happen. And and it's it's taken a while for even like the East Asian community to be able to tell mm-hmm. their own stories and feel represented in a way that wasn't stereotypical. So I feel like the more and more representation we can have like as a community it's going to be so like better for everyone um and i actually even did 
I did a presentation internally for my team called Where Are All the Filipino Nurses? Because um, it took 16 seasons of Grey's Anatomy to finally hire a Filipino Ah. actress to play a nurse. And if you know anyone Filipino, like there's so many nurses within the Mm -hmm. Filipino community. Like Filipinos have just a huge, wide like you, if you know any Filipino, like their mom's probably a nurse, their aunt's probably a nurse, yeah. and big presence. Yeah, yeah, there's a huge presence in in healthcare in general, and um, it that's just like not being reflected in Hollywood. Um, and it took yeah, like I said, like 16 seasons of Grey's Anatomy, and it's still like happening. There's still so many instances of um, of Filipinos not being able to portray themselves. Like um, I'm starting to pursue like my like more of like an acting career like now and there are still such limited opportunities to be able to play like a filipino american um like actress and i want to be able to go out for roles where i'm authentically playing myself um and not having to like you know you know it, it just comes from like a more authentic and accurate place and it means a lot to be able to see and and feel yourself represented um, and it means a lot to like younger generations too, to be able to see that reflected because, um, when you can see mm-hmm. someone doing it, when you can see yourself being represented on screen, that's indication for you that things are obtainable. Like you can yeah. be a superhero or a doctor or a nurse and, um, and that it's not like out of the blue and you're not pigeonholed to these um, like best friend characters and roles and just being on the sidelines or not even being re- represented at all. Yeah, <clears throat> for sure. I think I'm looking for, and I hope your premonition is true, that we see more roles for, you know, Filipino-Americans. So we could actually, like, I think the world needs to hear more stories and to understand yeah. everyone's, like, whether you're Filipino-American or other Asian stories. But I think for me, I just, I do want to learn more about the Filipino-American community. And I have to give a shout out to Joe Coy, who has uh, like a season of like, literally his like Filipino story. And I know Joe Coy has been like just an, a huge advocate mm-hmm. for the Filipino community. So super excited. And we ha- I have some friends that are in um, his like series as well. So excited for that. And also Diane Paragas, who came out with a movie called Yellow Rose um, mm. in 2020, I believe her film came out about um, a Filipino, it was a Filipino immigrant story. So the more like directors, mm. writers, people in Hollywood that, have a role in getting more of these stories being made the more of us that are are in those roles I feel like the more we'll be able to have our like dream come true like the premonition come true of more communities being represented and and being able to tell their stories for sure for sure Um, Melissa I would love to use this opportunity for you to kind of educate me on something um, I think yeah. I, sh- I shared with you, and um, for our listeners, I grew up in Union City, which is um, actually in East Bay, and there is a pretty strong Filipino community there. Like I, there's a lot of like, I grew up with a lot of Filipino Americans, and I um, heard a lot of different terminologies in terms of identity. Like for example, I heard a lot about, I heard a lot of people identify as Pacific Islander, and I heard a lot of people also say, "No, I'm Filipino American." And um, do you mind sharing a little bit about you know? the differences between the two identities? Yes. And I wouldn't say it's necessarily like a controversial take, mm-hmm. but I know there are some people who identify as Pacific Islander or or identify as Asian or identify as Filipino. 
And actually, I want to give a shout out to One Down Media. They do a great job of explaining the differences. Mm -hmm. And um, so I would, I'm plugging uh, One Down Media YouTube video about it. But to kind of bring it um, to like the definition. So Pacific Islanders are officially specified as Native Hawaiian, Samoan, um, Guamanian, Chamorro, Fijian, Tongan. I'm missing a ton, but like those like Pacific islands. Mm -hmm. So technically Filipinos are not uh, a part of the the Philippine Mm -hmm. islands. They're a part of Asia. So Filipinos are technically Asian. But I do know that there is like a unique colonial history. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard for people to place Filipinos racially Mm -hmm. and also for Filipinos themselves because, you know, we have brown skin like Pacific Islanders and Southeast Asians and we also sometimes share some like of the same ancestors with like Polynesians or Samoans Mm. Um, but technically speaking Filipino like if you are from the Philippines or only have ancestry in the Philippines Mm -hmm. um, you are Asian or Filipino American but I also I don't want to choose how someone identifies like if Mm. they do have Mm -hmm. um, roots or if they do identify as Pacific Islander because they may have roots that may have ancestors in in the Pacific Islands. But for me, I identify as Asian American and as Filipino American because I know that my ancestors are specifically from areas of the Philippines, which is in Asia. Got it. No, thank you so much for sharing. I think I just wanted to like understand from my perspective because I feel like where I grew up, like sometimes the term was actually interchangeable for a lot of some of the Filipino Americans mm-hmm. I grew up with. So yeah. I wasn't quite sure. Uh, but thank you for providing that also that resource if our listeners yeah. are wanting to learn more about this. Yeah, of course. Happy to share. Yeah. And going back to the topic of, you know, Filipino representation um, within media and within pop culture, um, both you and AJ are such strong examples of representing for the Filipino American community. And more recently, one of your projects has been a line of merch. Um, Could you share with us a little bit more about that? Yes, so we, AJ and I, um, we are co-owners of a brand called Kuyate, and Kuyate stands for, it's a mesh between the words Kuya and Ate, which means older brother, older sister in Tagalog, um, which AJ and I are part owners of, and it's a Filipino-American streetwear brand, and it means a lot to us because I feel like there aren't a, a ton, there are other Filipino streetwear brands out there, but we really wanted to create a brand where Filipinos can wear our clothing with pride and for Filipino yeah. pride and where we can um, influence like uh, parts of our culture in the design. So we come out with designs every month, every a drop every month, and sometimes we'll include in specific, specifically Filipino designs like um, like the National Filipino Flower, which is like the Sampaguita Flower. And for uh, Filipino American History Month last year, we did a whole collection dedicated to months in history for the Filipinos in the U.S. And um, our hope is for, you know, to have a brand that, connects people and connects people to their culture and maybe even educates people on Filipino culture through clothing and it's not just for Filipinos we are um, celebrating our culture through this brand Um, but we also love when non-Filipinos can like share in that pride for Filipino culture too we love when like non-Filipinos are also like wearing it and and that are um, getting knowledgeable about 
you know, new parts of Filipino culture too. Yeah, that is so incredible. You are definitely not only talking the talk, but walking the walk when it comes to your (laughs) passions. Um, Thank you so much for being here with us today, Alyssa. To wrap this up, what's one piece of advice you've been given, um, whether that's in your career, in, in personal life, whatever it is, that you always go back to? I would say one piece of advice that I have, always gone back to is that no one is going to be a better advocate for you than yourself Mm. and the more you can take up space the more it leaves room for others to follow and do the same back when I was like in college and learning about like corporate America I was I was kind of under more of the impression that um you shouldn't advocate for yourself Mm -hmm. really. And like, you should just kind of like climb the ladder, whether that's like as a performer or as like in in the corporate world, like don't spoke, don't speak into your spoken to, um, Mm. like kind of just put your head down and just glide through. Like, I feel like that's a very like old fashioned way of thinking, but you know, the, the way that I've been able to kind of make it in the industry that I am was honestly being an advocate for myself and leaning Mm -hmm. on others who have um, been awesome leaders and advocating for me Um, because I don't know I didn't talk about this yet but for the Forbes like 30 under 30 thing not a lot of people know this but I actually um, applied myself and nominated myself not a lot of people know you can do that but um, I was really proud of the work that I did for the Forbes, um, sorry, I was really proud of the work that I did with Launchpad and I wanted it to be highlighted and um, and showcased. So I, I looked through what the application process was like and I, I advocated for myself throughout the whole process. Yeah. Sometimes you can get um, people to nominate you, but you can also nominate yourself. So I encourage people to, if they you want to go for something, advocate for yourself, like ask uh, people for coffee meet and greets and like really like put yourself out there and don't be afraid to take up space too because yeah. the more we can take up space in roles um, professionally and um, also in like the creative space the more we can have more opportunities for other people that want to do that also mm-hmm. like that can follow in our footsteps and I definitely don't believe that there are only certain seats at the table like there mm-hmm. that we are a checkbox and that once like one person does it it's like done and filled like we should be like adding more seats to the, to mm-hmm. the table like we should be having more people follow because um you know the day that we just like rely on the one person to be like the tokenized person to advocate for others like it's it's only gonna it's only gonna die with that one person so the more we can bring other people to the table and allow for others to grow is when we'll really start to change the industry Mm. and the world hopefully (laughs) oh thank you so much Alyssa. that was a beautiful message to leave our listeners with where can we find you online uh, to follow the rest of your journey Yes, you can find me on Instagram at Alyssa, so A-L-Y-S-S-U-G-H, and on TikTok, Alyssa. I'm actually more active on TikTok these days. I've been like, I love using TikTok because I feel like it's it's so like um, unedited. It's like the unedited mm. version of myself. Yeah, <laughs> Whereas that's like on great. Instagram, it's a little more. I, I try not to like you know be super edited on TikTok. I mean on Instagram too, but um, on Instagram. 
TikTok, and then also follow along on our um, podcast that AJ and yes. I host together, co-host. It's the Sweet or Savory Pod, where we debate on fun yet controversial topics like is peanut butter sweet or savory and i'm mm. team sweet obviously mm-hmm. yeah and sweet. um and yes mel team sweet <laughs> and on our um page Cuyate, where we um where we have our filipino american streetwear brand those are like the the main ways and if you guys enjoyed this episode with Alyssa, I'm sure we all did, make sure you also leave a heart on her Instagram post on our ABG account to share the love. Um, but again, thank you so much, Alyssa. I feel like I'm very inspired by your story today. I feel like even though we were friends, I like to hear your background and to be an example of the model, like, you know, dreams do come true. It's very Disney, but I feel like you're a prime example of that. And we're excited to see, you know, where your journey takes you. And with that, this does wrap up today's episode. If you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. You can also support us through monthly donations at anchor.fm slash asianbossgirl slash support, or get some merch at asianbossgirl.myshopify.com. If you resonated with today's episode, let us know in the comments of our IG post. And if you'd like to put faces to our names, you can find us on YouTube where we share vlogs, an audience Q&A segment called Dear ABG, and much more. Our handle on both platforms is at Asian Boss Girl. We do have a couple of shout outs for this episode to Carmen from Anai. Proud of them for almost earning their bachelor's degree, even though they have a chronic illness. Also for starters applications for master's and PhD. To my best friend Angie from Melanie, you're the strongest person I know with the greatest heart of them all. I'm always here for you and hope you stay resilient. To Kristen from Andrew, hope you had a good workout. I'm so incredibly lucky to have you in my life and I can't wait to create more memories together. Love you always and forever. If you'd like to send a shout out to a friend, check out our link tree in our link in bio on our Instagram and click on shout outs. And last but not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all her magic on our episodes, including this one. And with that, we'll catch you all on the next episode. Bye. Bye.